You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ and others, and grows together in faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the third Sunday of Advent, December 13, 2020, by Ashley Boeuf Lang, Associate for Youth at St. Thomas.
When the time came, I'm pretty sure I spent more time on my summer staff application than I did on any of my college applications combined. In so many ways, it was as if my identity were sewn with the fabric of Wilderness Trail. I knew who I was when I was at that property. I knew who I was when I was hiking those trails. I watched my staff from former years carefully. I studied the route I was assigned. I could read the trail map with my eyes closed. I came prepared with topics I thought would be theologically engaging and meaningful around the campfire. I was ready for anything that summer. You know where this is going. It was the last day of our four-night trip before we returned to base camp to continue orientation and ready ourselves for the summers ahead. While most nights at camp were spent winding down, playing games, and showing off our best wilderness chef skills to each other, this particular night we were greeted with a surprise. Waiting for us when we arrived at camp were Rob Blackburn and Malcolm Roberts, two men who we soon learned were instrumental in the founding and growth of this ministry I loved so much. That night, they would talk us through the stories and liturgies that had become tradition at Trail, from the little foxes to the holy grounds we invite campers to share around the campfire, to the foot washing that concludes each week. Not only that, they also come to offer us a blessing. In classic orientation form, we were instructed to stand and form a circle. Malcolm would approach each of us, one at a time, anointing our heads with oil as he offered words of encouragement. I watched as he made his way around the circle, talking just quietly enough for his soul-intended individual to hear. I watched as he placed his hands on my colleagues' shoulders before blessing them with oil and words. I wondered what he might say to me. After a short while, he finally made his way to me. I smiled nervously, ready to soak in all the wisdom that he had to offer, ready to accept the task of carrying on this ministry and its legacy. Malcolm stood before me, eyes fixed and discerning, and just as he had done before, he placed his hand on each of my shoulders as if to lock me there with him in that moment. My eyes were stuck. Disquieted by the elongated gaze and just how close he was, I waited, wondering what he would say. He took the oil from his pocket and overturned the vial just above my forehead. I could feel the oil slowly drip down my face as I stood there in uncomfortable silence. Just as nervous as ever, my eyes returned to meet his. And Malcolm greeted me with a patient and knowing smile. And that's when he said it. The words that would pierce and haunt me. Get out of God's way. <laughs> and that was it. That, that was all he had to say. Seemingly proud of himself, he gave me one more smile before continuing around the circle. And though his hands were no longer on my shoulders, I still felt locked there in that moment. Paralyzed, unable to move. Get out of God's way? I mean, what the heck did that even mean? Was I in God's way? How did he even know? He didn't know me. He's never met me. He didn't know all the work that I had so clearly done in preparation for this moment. All the time and energy that I poured into my map studying and devotion preparing. 
I suppose I should have felt comforted and encouraged by his wisdom, but all I could feel in that moment was confusion and frustration. And that was it. That was all it took. Seven years worth of learning and growing and discerning who I was and who I would be in the context of this ministry buckled under the weight of five miserable words. Get out of God's way. Lucky for me, this was only the beginning of my wilderness trail identity crisis, but more on that in a bit. We return in our gospel reading this week to the River Jordan, where we find a man named John preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness along the river's edge. Last week's reading from Mark's gospel gives us a glimpse into who this John is. We know he's a popular preacher and prophet in the Judean countryside. In that adorned in cloth made of camel's hair, he indulges in a steady and delectable diet of locusts and wild honey. This week's gospel reading, though, is seemingly far more lacking in details when it comes to John the Baptist. Standing there, along the Jordan, John is approached by a group of religious leaders, hoping to learn a little bit about him. Curious, they ask, who are you? John responds simply, I'm not the Messiah. Okay, helpful. So they probe further. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Again, John gives the response seemingly indifferent to their attempts to define his character. No, I am not. Agitated, his examiners won't let up. What then? What do you say about yourself? If indeed you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, then who are you? Recalling the words of the prophet Isaiah, John the baptizer meets their inquiry. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He continues, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize with spirit and fire. Indeed, among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. I'm sure that for his questioners, that moment was a puzzling, if not frustrating one. All we want are answers, John. Give the people what they want. But John's not playing that game. You see, John knows something that those religious leaders have not yet grasped. John knows that the true significance of his own ministry will come to be defined in the grand scheme of things, not by what he is, but by what he clearly isn't. And it's here that our gospel author, the Apostle John, different guy, is telling about this story in such a way that we might see it too. Return with me once more to the last century, and by this I mean 2011. It's now mid-July, and I'm nearly halfway through my first summer as a hiking staff. And to be honest, friends, it is not quite going as I planned it. In my very first week, I leave my map back at the property. Remember when I told you that I could read it blindfolded? Yeah, I was lying. That was a lie. I had no clue what I was doing. And with very little help from my first time junior staff, we just barely managed to wander away into camp as sun was setting each night. Week two, I made the mistake of entrusting our group fuel to a 
less organized camper. I know, I want both. And we hit the trail without doing a single equipment check. Yay! Well, workable. Well, you should know that a campfire is not the most efficient way to boil water for mac and cheese dinner, or as we called it, cheesy crunchy stuff. It's now week three, and though most of the time groups are assigned by church affiliation, I have been assigned a group made up of various solo campers who have never met each other. Delightful. The first couple of these are not pretty. We have our map, we have our fuel, fuel, check, check. But something with this group, it's not clicking. It's not clicking. They're, they're not getting along. They're, they always want something different to do. And I just can't seem to please them, no matter what. Not only that, but it seems like I am racing the sun each day, trying desperately, desperately, trying to get this group to pick up the pace. It's not working. I know that today will be our longest, and so I have woken everyone up early. We get to watch the sunrise! Woohoo! I cheer in early morning darkness to a chorus of groans. I know our already long day will be only more complicated by the fact that today we are going to visit Wilderness Trail's most well-known and beloved landmarks, Buzzard Rock. Situated near the top of White Top Mountain, the second tallest mountain in Virginia, they say that on a clear day, you can see five states. It really is a sight to behold, and campers love it. They always want to spend as much time as possible here, and that is the precise reason why on this day, this week, I hate Buzzard Rock. I hate it. <laughs> the day goes just as I expected. It takes us forever to get to Buzzard Rock. Buzzard Rock is just a mile and a half before the campsite will stay at that night, but those campsites are popular. I know, I know that people are trying to get to them. And it's a weekend, so I'm racing. I get them to pack up their stuff, and it's a sunny day, which makes it even more hard. And we go down the mile and a half long trail to see if it, yes, the campsite is taken. So, in a stroke of glorious improvisation, I find a campsite where we can conveniently fit snugly about three tents between the briars and thorns. The group is doing okay, but they can't stop talking about Buzzard Rock, and friends, they caught on. The caught on that camp is not actually that far away. It's a pretty flat path to get back, and all they want to do is go back to Buzzard Rock. And all I want to do is sleep. I just want the day to be over. I just want the week to be over. I just want to keep going, and maybe week four will be good. But they won't let up. My group has collected a bunch of firewood, they've stuffed it into a bag, and in a way that is kind of a coup, they decide, decide, that we're going back to Buzzard Rock. So, with the blessing and encouragement of my group's adult chaperone, Pam, a wonderful woman, we, we take that firewood, we collect all of our dinner supplies, and we secure and store our packs and tents before backtracking on the trail that had frustrated me just an hour before. Not long before returning to Buzzard Rock, the wind dispels any notions that we might have about building a campfire, and the cold keeps us close and bundled. Still, I see that these campers are enamored and unfazed. 
This group is determined to stay here as long as they possibly can on Buzzard Road. And if the park allowed it, they probably would have slept there. And so I ready my cooking supplies and I began to cook dinner. Strangely, even as the cold wind whipped the stove flames, slowing dinner down considerably, even as we grew hungrier, I started to notice the energy and the dynamic change in that group. Soon enough, I served dinner to that happy, hungry crowd. And once I see that everyone's finished, I begin to pack up my things. I know that we have to return to camp before the darkness sets in. Though it is a flat, flat path back to camp, there are rocks and there are streams that we have to cross, and it will only be an even bigger feat in the darkness. But one of my campers stops me. Wait! What are you doing? What about the sunset? I pause, uncertain and a little frustrated, not knowing what I should do. The path back, while short, is not going to be easy in the dark, I remind them. But we brought our headlamps, another quickly replies. I look, I look once more to Pam, who gives me a knowing smile that reminds me of another I've encountered earlier this summer. I put down my things, and we wait for the sunset. And friends, I won't lie to you. To this day, that remains the most brilliant sunset I have ever seen. There, cold and huddled in my group, I watched the sun descend beneath that cascading mountain range, leaving behind it a blanket of fiery red, brilliant and beautiful. And for a brief moment, I could understand the blessing that was contained in Malcolm's words to me. Slowly, I began to recognize that metaphorical path on which I was standing, one on which I had for so long been obstructing with stones of my own worries, anxieties, expectation, and let's be honest, paralyzing perfectionism of what I thought that we should be. But the sky was my directive, and in that moment, I could feel my soul move from the center of the path to its edge. We're not long after. I watched as God made her way down, collecting my stones, carrying me with her into the tapestry she had painted with such care. The truth is, it actually didn't take us very long to get back to camp. Something that night had clicked for everyone in the group. We walked with ease and cooperation. And that week remains for me one of the most significant ones in my time at Lawrence Trail. I'd really like to tell you that I learned my lesson that week. That from that point on, I learned to always and forever faithfully step aside and let God do God's thing, unencumbered by my own anxieties and expectations of what it all should look like. But the truth is not so simple. It's not the truth. The truth is that I continue to learn that lesson over and over again for the next seven years of working at Trail. I continue to have weeks where I wonder why the heck they could ever hire somebody like me. Even now, I continue to trip over stones of my own making. Stones of anxiety and perfectionism and fear and disappointment. I become trapped by them. 
wondering, who am I? Am I even worthy? And I'm sure I'm not alone. In so many ways, this year has presented its own identity crisis to each of us and our nation and our world. Faced with uncertainty of all that has come, we might find ourselves asking all sorts of questions. Who am I in this moment? Who will I become from this moment in the weeks and months and years to come? Who is my neighbor? Have I seen them? Have I loved them enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Am, am I enough? But it is here, dearly beloved, that we must pause and look once more to the Jordan to see the one who leads us along the river's edge. I'm not talking about John. Among you, among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes, indeed, the one who comes to us does so in fire and beams, like that of a most brilliant and wonderful sunset. Perhaps our deepest encouragement in this season is that even in the waiting, God stands among us. For even in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Yes, even in the shattered glass of our being, of who we are, of, of who we were, of who we might be, and especially of who we are not, there comes to us a child, born of flesh and blood. Yes, it is indeed in this child, this Jesus, who has come to fill in the gaps, come to pick up the stones, come to sweep across the chasms of our very soul, painting us with a tapestry of brilliant red and wonder. And it is there within you too, within each of us. Rejoice, dear ones, for you are Enough. There is a sweeping and glorious tapestry that exists within each of us. We need only step aside long enough to see it. We must only make the room. And so, my friends, I leave you with just one final blessing. Get out of God's way. Amen. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website, www.stthomasmedina.org. That's a www.stthomasmedina.org.